So what what brings us here today? What are we doing? Also, what is this podcast called? Ooh, uh, yeah, we should have a we should have a proper intro. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just want to call it the Good Writing Podcast because when I last looked it up, there no one no other podcast was named Good Writing. You know what? That's good SEO also. So I'm here for it. Like... Cool. Well, so the idea behind this podcast is. Uh, my dear co-host Ben and I are uh, two writers who left an MFA program and quickly realized nobody talks about craft outside of classes. <laughs> um, so maybe the type of you know listener that we're designed for is a writer who wants to really think more in depth about craft. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I want to yeah. look at some sentences and maybe paragraphs as as the show progresses. Um, but I want to just like actually, you know, share whatever thing we've read recently with each other that we've loved and want to analyze together the world does not talk about writing in the way that we enjoy to talk about writing and now here we are to come back to that did i tell you have i told you at all what we're talking about this week no no i have no idea completely blind okay amazing we're talking about grammar yeah no that's a wonderful idea i would love to talk about grammar oh man no that that's actually very tantalizing we're talking about grammar that emphasizes the point I think the most common, you know, creative writing 301 advice that people get about grammar is to vary your sentence length and vary your sentence complexity. You know, in an action sequence, maybe have shorter sentences because shorter sentences get your readers to read faster, right? It's uh, in an action sentence, shorter sentences are punchier, which really fits for what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. We are talking about the very opposite of the shorter sentences for an action sequence advice here. Today we are going to talk about, I'm going to read you my favorite sentence from Pride and Prejudice. Okay, okay. A book I've never read. Okay, amazing. I love this. We have I, I'm, Another reason I'm excited to do this show with you is I think we have pretty different literary taste. Um, mm-hmm. I have maybe more conventional uh certainly not commercial, but closer to commercial taste than you. Um, and I think you're really experimental. And so I'm just excited to introduce you to stuff that you haven't read. And, and, and I'm excited to hear, to make, to, to, for you to bring me along to stuff that I otherwise wouldn't pick up on my own. Yeah, no, same, exactly, exact same, because you're going to bring things to me that I would never, like, even, what I've never heard of, because we're just looking at different circles of the publishing market, like, as, in terms of what we want to read. Um, and I also do want to say that I imagined our audience standing once again, uh, rolling their eyes when, um, uh, oh, a man has not read Pride and Prejudice. What a surprise that is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would love to hear, what are your preconceptions on Pride and Prejudice? What do you know about Pride and Prejudice? Uh, nothing, that it exists. Um, that, that, that one person did the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies book, and then I'm not, I was like, I'm not going to read that either. Um, that, <laughs> it just, that, that like basically 18th century british lit as a whole is something i have never touched like no matter who's writing it i've never read anybody from that era dickens nobody like that just and he might not even be 18th century that's how little i know about it like i couldn't even really put that into a correct place like timeline wise i am so prepared for this convo okay so ben why haven't you touched 18th century or um yeah she pu- i think this was published in the early 19th century so like late 1700s early 1800s why haven't you touched this era of british lit what are your what do you what's your preconceptions about this era well um i i don't just in generally uh, most of my reading it at 
is pretty much 1950 forward. Like, I, I don't really ever go pe before 1950 for the most part with anywhere. Um, but my preconceptions with um, this time are, I think, the standard preconceptions and probably the standard mistakes that most people make about this, that it is stuffy and overlong and boring. And also a thing that I've always, like, that I'm just not attracted to in books is that, like, I don't like books that are just kind of about, like, really about characters like delving into one another all the time and that like the set pieces for the book are the character interactions mm. like that that just doesn't hold a lot of attraction for me and i've always interpreted these books as being extremely character heavy like there's a bunch of people involved and the the interesting like thing that brings you into the book is the way in which all of their lives intertwined and it's not things like their environment or the social like, like the um grander like political implications of what they're doing and stuff like that which is just what i'm more attracted to yeah okay cool totally respect that but i want to show you um a video from project runway and if you okay. enjoy this moment this 16 15 second clip from project runway then you will enjoy the type of humor in pride and prejudice okay so i just okay. i just sent you a link um as you're opening it, wait, before you open it, let me preface this. Yeah, let me put, get this paused. Hold on. Yep. Okay. Okay. So Project Runway, reality TV is a reality TV show. Um, and typically when you're like a professional getting judged by like ideally judges, uh, it, it experts whose opinion you really care for. Um, ideally they're critiquing you in a way where they're giving you advice rather than just tearing you down. Right. And secondly, you, mm -hmm. you know, you are excited to hear somebody take your work seriously and engage with it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is what happened on Project Runway. And if you enjoy, like, the entertainment of this moment of Project Runway, I think you'll enjoy Pro Project Pride and Prejudice. I happen to agree with Isaac. I think this lace in this color, it's like seaweed that has come out of the swamp. Thank you. That's not a compliment. I didn't take it as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, clearly I did like that. That's very funny. <laughs> a full-hearted laugh. Yes. Okay. This clip is like, you know the Reddit R murdered by words? Uh, semi-familiar yeah i know what you're talking about this clip yeah. is like popular in places like that like um mm -hmm. so he's like thank you which is like essentially mm -hmm. he's in a lesser power situation and he's like politely reminding her you're being a real dick and abusing your authority position here right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this almost <laughs> verbatim happens in pride and prejudice um <laughs> so <laughs> almost <laughs> verbatim so oh. Okay. Like, there's this moment where our main character, Elizabeth, is staying with her friend who lives next door to a rich lady. And the rich lady says to Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, this is like the final night that Elizabeth's supposed to be in town. Uh, and the rich lady's mm -hmm. like trying to convince Elizabeth to stay longer to try to entertain her more. And the rich lady says, okay. You must write to your mother to beg that you may stay a little longer. Mrs. Collins will be very glad of your company, I am sure. So she's like mm -hmm. volunteering Elizabeth's friend to host Elizabeth for longer without asking Elizabeth's yes. friends for that permission. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And Elizabeth says, 
I am much obliged to your ladyship for your kind invitation. And then, but it's not in my power, blah, blah, blah. I have to go. But like, mm-hmm. that's like exactly that thank you moment from Project Runway. She's saying like, <laughs> I am much obliged for your invitation. Like, you don't have a right to invite me here. Like, she's so, like, if this is... <laughs> If, just the ultimate shutdown kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, if you enjoy our murdered by words or, like, thank you, like, polite, um, power, witty moments, like, you may enjoy Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice. This is kind of, like, thought of as the first um, romance novel. There just ha- doesn't happen to be any sex in it. Um, okay, like, so in, like, the Harlequin ro- romance tradition kind of thing, it's considered as part of that? It's, like, considered, like the grandmother the the the, the yeah, not, of mm-hmm. of like romance genre like they meet yeah, like all okay. of the romance genre beats happen here this is the trope originator okay cool yeah this is one of them um okay so i i'm gonna like come back and do more context on pride and prejudice and how freaking dope this book is um in a minute but mm-hmm. i want to like get to the grammar in the sentence that i just think is god tier craft okay so this this is from a chapter uh i don't know two-thirds of the way through the book our main character elizabeth the love interest is mr darcy initially elizabeth had like a really negative impression of mr darcy um and mm-hmm. what you need to know for con- i'm gonna get like set up the context of the sentence because the sentence always like one sentence out of context is never gonna like quite hit <laughs> um <laughs> So let me give you some context on the chapter. So Mr. Darcy, like, Elizabeth is starting to realize she was wrong about him. Something that happens in this era of, like, ruralish Britain is rich people's houses are, like, considered on display. Okay. And so if you're touring the country with your family, like, a totally normal activity to do is to, like, oh, let's go to the Pemberley estate and, like, look at the man, tour the parts of the manor that are open and, like, go around the yard. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So due to a series of awkward coincidences that I won't get into too many details here, Elizabeth and her aunt and uncle are, like, going to tour her Mm -hmm. love interest who she spurns property. Mm -hmm. Earlier in this chapter, Elizabeth's mind was too full for conversation, right? She's, like, really distracted about, Mm -hmm. like... I might have been wrong about this potential love interest. And Elizabeth, like, is a huge naturalist. She just loves going for a long walk. Um, and she, like, sees his estate. Yeah. It's neither gaudy nor uselessly fine. And the whole thing, what, like, the whole start of why she thought he was the worst was because he thought he was, like, pretentious about him being high class. Okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. two things are happening for context to the sentence that fucking bangs. Um, mm-hmm. First is, like... The chapter before, and two times in this chapter, she gets reassured Mr. Darcy himself is out of town. And then we, like, initially, if we had just heard that once, we would maybe have been like, oh, it's Chekhov's gun. Um, the fact that they say he's out of town means, like, something is going to go astray. But then in this chapter, it's we... clearly won't be or whatever, yeah. Yeah. But then in this chapter, it's like... Um, Oh, actually, one of the servants is like, he's coming tomorrow. So we think that that's the big reveal. That like, oh, mm-hmm. he's not going to be here today. He won't be in this chapter. But like, he's coming tomorrow. So like, she barely dodged him. That's the reveal, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we think that like, that setup has already paid off. We are mistaken yeah. about that. Um, and yeah. then the other thing going on in this chapter is there are like two kind of like moments of internal growth that 
given how slow other chapters happen, would have been enough to have been like the climax of this chapter already. Okay. So, like, Elizabeth starts to realize with astonishment, the housekeeper like has these like crazy nice things to say about Mr. Darcy. And that alone would have been like an, in any other chapter would have been enough of an info, like reveal to like conclude the chapter. Yeah, like, okay, clearly he's not the guy we thought he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then next, Elizabeth herself finally says out loud, not that she likes him, but she like starts to indicate um, what she says is, quote, perhaps we might be, might have been deceived. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, we see Elizabeth growing as a person. That too could have been a big enough reveal to end this mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the sentence that fucking bangs. So they're walking around outside at the pretty house, pretty rich person mansion. Yes, okay. As they walked across the lawn towards the river, Elizabeth turned back to look again. Her uncle and aunt also stopped also, and while the former was conjecturing as to the date of the building, the owner of it himself suddenly came forward from the road, which led behind it to the stables. <coughs> Mr. Darcy appears. <laughs> He's there. He's, He's there, there out of nowhere. Okay. I like actually when I was reading this, I was so like immersed in this experience. I like actually let went ah out loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because of the previous setups uh, of the two fake outs that feel like naturally where like, okay, that's the point of this chapter. We'll move forward from here. Yeah. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like, it's, like, really abrupt and unexpected. And then it turns out this chapter, like, really, like, has so much more happen in it than every other chapter in this book. <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, the chapter. This yeah. The one. Like, there's this um, podcast mm-hmm. I found when I was, like, researching before this episode that we're recording now where these two mm-hmm. friends just, like, read in book club Pride and Prejudice. We can link it in the show notes. And every other mm-hmm. episode... They have like four chapters, three to four chapters per mm. episode. And this episode, that, the episode on this chapter is just the one chapter because so much happens. <laughs> Damn. All right. Okay. So th- this is a thick chap. Yeah. This is a thick chap. Not like necessarily lengthwise, but it's just like, oh, that was deeply surprising yeah. that he appeared. Um, yeah. Yeah. And why the sentence bangs so much is because the grammar mm. of the sentence reafor- reinforces how unexpected his appearance is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go go into that, please. Yeah. As they so I'm just going to reread it and I'm going to announce the grammar out loud because I know our readers are just our listeners are just listening not not seeing the sentence. As they yeah. walked across the lawn towards the river, comma, Elizabeth turned back to look again. Semicolon. Her uncle and aunt stopped also. Colon. And while the former was conjecturing as to the date of the building, comma, the owner of it himself suddenly came forward from the road, comma, which led behind it to the stables. The owner of it himself, like Mr. Darcy isn't even done by name here, right? The owner of it himself, like just a man, you know, you have to like engage your brain to realize who that man is. Mm-hmm. And that also like creates like that visual distance where you, it's like the character is seeing them and not registering fu- fully like right away. It's like, wait, who is that? Oh, that's the owner. Oh, that's Mr. Darcy. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It kind of has that effect when you see someone from a distance and you're like, that's a person. Oh, wait, I know that person, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The owner of it himself suddenly came forward from the road, comma, which led behind it to the stable. So like it was Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy isn't even like the end of the sentence. He is hidden in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. as I was reading, I actually basically did a double take. Mm-hmm. 
which is what Elizabeth would have done having run into somebody who she wasn't expecting to see. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I just think this is the best. <laughs> like, this grammar uh, is phenomenal. So they're use, it's, she's using like a really complicated, deeply profoundly complicated sentence structure to mm-hmm. hide in the center the arrival of the character who you've spent the entire chapter thinking about. Yeah, yeah. And it turns the reader into the character, like it it, it 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 like breaks the fourth wall down in that way by by like a, doing like you said the double take that is currently simultaneously occurring in the book itself. Like that that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. It's just so so good, and I think it's so exciting to like rediscover this, having mostly read like more recently published books because I I don't think that there are as many writers today getting published by top five top five who are using this complicated of a sentence yeah yeah editors won't let them uh, to a certain extent like if you're trying to if, especially if you're going top five and they're going for sales like stuff like this that's that's hard to get through the reason this sentence works so well and like doesn't draw an overly amount of attention an overburdensome amount of attention to itself a lot of our sentences are really long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like not completely out of place in context mm-hmm. of what she's doing. So, so it just kind of feels like it fits in the flow of the other sentences, thus acting like as that kind of hidden reveal even further. Like Exactly. And I think a huge part of why, like at the sentence level, this book slaps. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that Jane Austen originally wrote an earlier draft of Pride and Prejudice when she was like 21 to 22. Mm-hmm. And her dad, who was super supportive, tried to get it published, the earliest draft. Mm-hmm. And then it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then she put it in a box and she mm-hmm. came back to it 16 years later. Mm-hmm. Or 15 years later, edited it for a year, mm-hmm. for more than a year, and then published it 16 years later. Jeez. And so, like, the um, intro to my copy of it is written by, you know, like, all of these old classic books usually have like an intro from a scholar. Yeah. So this intro is by a scholar named Carol Howard. Mm-hmm. And she says that the earliest version that Jane Austen tried to write when she was like in her early 20s was originally called First Impressions. Mm-hmm. And it was like more like the other books that were popular at this time. Like the kind of book that mm-hmm. was really popular at this time. It's not that women writers weren't like doing their thing or getting published at this time. Mm-hmm. But like it tended to be like kind of conservative and moralistic yeah, and not as nuanced, like closer to a parable than like a really rich literary story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jane Austen's original version of Pride and Prejudice was titled First Impressions. Mm-hmm. And it was like more moralistic about like your first impression of someone may not be accurate. Right. Yeah. Just wearing it on the sleeve, like literally on the book sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. And then, she waited 15 years, took more than a year to edit it, and, mm. like, a while a, the story beats may be really similar, like, just the depth and the level of attention paid on a sentence level is so good in Pride and Prejudice. Okay, okay. So I really think that, like, a lesson from this, for me as a writer at least, is, well, two, first, like, complicated sentences, hiding like trying to create that immersive experience where the reader does a double take along with your point of view character 
dope, amazing. Mm-hmm. But also like kind of an inspirational story here of like, dude, if your first draft of a story idea isn't that deep, like come back to it fifteen year, in 15 yeah. years. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. paying more attention at the sentence level, making it more nuanced, just having a more complicated thing to say about the themes yeah. worked. Yeah, so sometimes artists, like, you know, you're not ready, you, you don't have the skills to meet your ambition yet sometimes. Like, sometimes it takes you, you need that extra time for practice in order to get to that stage where you can complete the good idea that you may have had 15 years ago but just weren't ready to do yet. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Can, can I go back to this sentence for a second and just say how much work the word conjecturing is doing in here? Like, Ooh, tell me. That that word like lies like basically flat in the middle of the sentence, and, and I feel like it acts as this kind of fulcrum like in there. You know, we have this uh, conjecturing great verb first of all. Like I love a good verb, and, and this is mm-hmm. just a, a really excellent verb. And it acts as like the moment at which the camera moves its focus from one part of the scene to another. You, you know, you have you know her uncle is conjecturing and that's where the focus is you see it there and then conjecturing as to the date of the building but then as soon as we hit that we see the camera kind of sweep away from him pontificating and whatnot over to uh, the where mr darcy is standing out at the end of the road like yeah it's just like, so the uncle's yeah. pointing at the building as the mm-hmm. as our focus zooms over to the building we notice yeah. the owner of it came forward yeah, exactly. Like, like it, it just kind of like does that wonderful work. Just especially like just seating that like just location wise in the sentence. I I think that that that's just an excellent place for that verb to show up. I, I've just kind of been sitting here staring at that while we've been talking. It's just been like, damn, that's that's a really good use of that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's also interesting. Like uh, the other verbs in the sentence, they walked across the lawn. That's a boring verb. Turned back to look again. Turned mm-hmm. look normal verbs yeah and uncle stopped also just all logistics yeah, yeah exactly conjecturing that's yeah. interesting you know that's mm-hmm. got some thought put behind it and yeah. then the, the the like fulcrum of the sentence the thing that changes the whole chapter and mm-hmm. honestly because he happens to be here the whole story like if he didn't mm-hmm. happen to show up on this day he may not have gotten a chance to talk with her again and redeem his manners for her yeah. the owner just came forward which yeah. led behind it like it's everything but conjecturing is like a really just kind of logistical verb. And yeah. I I think that the most interesting verb not being about Darcy appearing mm-hmm. is also an interesting choice. Yeah. Because it, it also calls the reader's attention to that moment in the sentence. Like we're paying attention again because it's no longer logistical. It's more, um, it, it's more, uh, imagic, uh, I'm trying to think, it, but it's more image-based. Like it, it's more visible than just stopping or walking or turning. It's conjecturing, so we can imagine like hand signals and whatnot. So we're suddenly we're brought to like a visual, a visual place with that that the other verbs weren't giving us as much. And then once we're given that visual moment, it's used to turn our attention to this other aspect, this extremely important like aspect of not just the sentence or the chapter, but it, it seems like to the whole book itself from what you've told me. Like this is a very important moment. Yeah. One hundred percent. And then the rest of let me look at the verbs slowly, slowly following this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to read this really, really like they were they were within twenty yards of each other, and so abrupt was his appearance that it was impossible to avoid his sight. Their eyes instantly met, and cheeks of each other were overspread with the deepest blush, with the deepest blush. 
He absolutely started and for a moment seemed immovable from surprise, but shortly recovered, recovering himself, advanced towards the party and spoke to Elizabeth, if not in terms of perfect composure, at least of perfect civility. Um, yeah, conjecturing's really the only thing where he's like, I think what's happening here is the uncle's just like, you know, not worried so much about the placement of his body or like uh, mm. the logistics. He's like, just like having an intellectual thought in <laughs> every... Every after Darcy appears, like it's all like, oh shit, what do I do with my hands? Kind of things. Mm, interesting. That's really cool. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this sentence fucking rocks, Ben. It really does. This is a really solid sentence. Also, like, big ups for being able to use a fucking semicolon because I, I just can't. I just don't know how. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. Like, I, I can't make it work ever. Anytime I put one in, everyone tells me to take it out. So it's just like, I, I just not can even try. Like, <laughs> I, I can't separate. It's like, it's to make an independent clause. And then, like, every time I try to do it, it's like, this should just be two sentences. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think part of that is, like, our taste um mm-hmm. is mostly about like you know shorter yeah. straightforward easy to skim stuff yeah yeah that's true and it takes part of the reason why the sentence works is because you know she uses semicolons elsewhere like that it it doesn't feel like it's drawing attention to itself here mm-hmm. in in the context mm-hmm. of the rest of pride and prejudice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it, usually i think a lot of times when like um our MFA friends, our writer friends, use semicolons. It's like, I don't know, this looks kind of academic now. Like, <laughs> it's kind of interrupting the flow. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it, it's just un- unnecessarily breaking up the sentences. Well, but I just, but it's like interesting because I don't feel like it's doing that here. Like, it, I feel like this doesn't feel out of place. Like you were saying, with in the sentence itself. Like, yeah. I think part of that, right. As they walked across the lawn towards the river, Elizabeth turned back to look at a semicolon. Her aunt and uncle stopped also. Colon. Mm-hmm. It's all setting up. What are they looking at? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's creating breaks. Yeah. Like, you're right. Yeah. It's like when the camera pans around the character and we're looking over their shoulder now and they're like mm-hmm. framing what we're actually looking at. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of why this col- the colon and semicolon here are like, seem so natural because it's setting up what the second, what the last half of the sentence will be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another interesting, so just non sequitur, mm-hmm. another interesting Jane, oh. Jane Austen fact um, yeah, that ahead. I also read in that intro by, intro by Carol Howard mm-hmm. is, um, so they like sent her to, they tried sending her to like some girls boarding schools, but like the first one was like so disease ridden, she almost died of something. Oh, and oh then, no. Yeah, I mean, late 1700s, baby. We really did not have germ theory. We did not have germ theory down then. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they tried sending her to another school, but they didn't. But she didn't really like it. And so they, her parents terminated her formal education when she was 10. Mm -hmm. And then, but her dad was like, "Read my books, read my library." He owned like 500 books and was just like really supportive and encouraging of her to be a big reader and writer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting too. Like. she didn't, she certainly didn't get an MFA. I'll say that. Um, and, yeah. she, and, but like the level of care that she pays to these 10 sentences are absolutely on the literary. Every sentence is a piece of art, uh, mm. plain. Yeah, just like, just like that classic thing of just every word is chosen. Like there, there's nothing mm-hmm. there accidentally. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like, I think 
I, so I kind of one thing I kind of quibble with in comparing this book to like modern romance genre is mm-hmm. I've read a number of modern romance genres. They're super fun to read, but mm-hmm. I never want to reread them. And yeah. I immediately reread Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Okay. Because the level of care on a sentence is just mm-hmm. so, so rich. And mm-hmm. you are not alone. I only picked up Pride and Prejudice earlier this year in 2021. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, the only reason I did it was because my girlfriend's sister had me watch the Kiara Knightley Pride and Prejudice with her, which okay. I had seen once before. But this time, my girlfriend's sister, like the whole time was like, ooh, and like was like translating, you know, oh, no. what was going on and like okay. what the conventions of the time were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it made it so much more thrilling. <laughs> it really just did. So you're not alone at all in like perceiving um, stories from this era, especially stories about like wealthy people from this era as uh, mm-hmm. stuffy or slow. Um, mm-hmm. But with a little translation help, I immediately, I really fell in love with this. Yeah, that that's awesome. That That's definitely something that like has held me back from this era generally is just a lack of understanding of the history of that time in, in like the especially like the personal history of that time of like how people interacted with each other because it's like i understand that on the base level there's like an emotional community that is not that different from contemporary emotional community like you know we all you know we we want to have sex with each other we want to be friends with each other we want to get along with there are people we don't like and the way that that manifests is like the way our emotions work can't be that different now than it was then like it's still just the basic level of you know human emotion and how we care about each other but the way that that's expressed and and like the different social norms like and how we bring to bear those aspects of our relationships to one another is so vastly different that i always feel like I'm missing things when I watch stuff like that. Like there are cues that are extremely obvious to anyone during the time period and anyone that understands the time period that are going on that I just don't know. So that when something happens, like I'm just like, oh, I didn't, that went over my head. I didn't even realize that that meant that those two people don't like each other. Like I I thought they were just having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And that's one thing that like is interesting about Pride and Prejudice is the narrator doesn't, philosophize on what's happening or like what the social conventions of the time are Mm -hmm. Um, especially compared to supposedly the other types of books and novels that were popular at the time were really moralizing Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it was like definitely a craft choice to not translate what was happening into like moral terms as much Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's very modernist and I think it means, I agree, I think it means modern readers just like, I'm glad I read a version with footnotes, is how I'll put that. Yeah, yeah. Like, just because it's understand, just like, well, I, I don't know, that's also Austin, like, trusting her reader to, like, know that they exist in the world and being able to understand, like, what she's written. Like, just being, having enough confidence in her own prose and in the reader's intelligence that those two things will match up. They're like, oh, they can tell what's going on. I don't have to tell them what's going on. Like, yeah. Totally. Absolutely agreed. This rules. I, I might have to sit down and try to read a version with footnotes at some point. It really rewarded it for me. Uh, okay, so lessons from this episode. Uh, complicate your sentences sometimes. Like yeah. when, and only, I'm not saying in general, clearly like Ben's hesitation about writing from this era must in part be because it's, you know, presenting things in maybe unnecessarily complicated ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can really pay off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
complicate your sentences and, and don't be afraid of like hiding things in them. Don't don't worry about don't, don't worry so much about a reader missing things in a sentence as long as it's actually there. Worry about them missing mm -hmm. things if everybody's missing it, but don't worry about people missing things that are that are hidden on purpose almost. Like the yeah, this is yeah. definitely it. Just this sentence in particular. So it says to me, like this writer put it down after the first few drafts, and came back ready to make it every really fun on a sentence level, mm -hmm. and ready to like trust that people would catch what was happening, even if she had fun on a sentence level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think another lesson too uh, is spoken from the story you told of Jane Austen coming back to this sixteen years later. Don't be afraid to put stuff down. Uh, don't be afraid to put something down and not work on it for a while. Like, there's no shame in that. Yeah. Weird. Cool. Well, this was, uh, I hope, the debut episode of uh, the Good Writing Podcast with Ben and yeah. Emily. Yeah. So, that's who we've been. We, I'm Ben. I'm Emily. We'll see you next week for another Craft Talk. Yeah. Dope. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>